Good morning, everybody. Just uh, uh, open God's precious word to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 5, picking up from last week. Um, almost uh, finished with our journey through 1 Peter. It's carried us a lot of places in the Bible. Heard it said before, and I'm sure you have too, and I really subscribe to this, and that is the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Um, greatly decrease our um, decrease our um, the risk that we could take otherwise that uh, of misinterpreting it if we use it as, as its commentary on itself or uh, misunderstanding it. So let's open there. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. We're just going to read a couple of verses here. If you're physically able, would you stand with me in reverence and Respect in God's precious word as we read it. <clears throat> Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. But may the God of grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Coming back on the um, picking up where we left off last week in 1 Peter 5 and uh, verse 4. And the uh, Peter, who was an elder, is his instruction to fellow elders. If you'll remember that we talked about the fact that the elder, bishop, pastor, overseer are used interchangeably in the scriptures to refer to the same. Person, so you could just as well put, and probably uh, we're more familiar with the term pastor, and you can insert that in his instruction to pastors. So um, we also talked about the fact that we can look at that in the standpoint of any of us, particularly the men among us who have um, spiritual responsibility for others, which would be our wives and our children, and and those around us who uh, in which there may, there's not a father in the home. Our responsibility to, to shepherd, and we. Looked at that last week. Then we come in uh, to verse 5, and we come to a place where we had talked about in First Peter that in the practical part of um, the letter, the first part of the letter is the positional part, that which is true of us. And then, as is many New Testament letters, the second is, here's how we should live in light of that truth. This is the life that truth should produce and will produce if we receive it and believe it. That the glue that kind of holds the book together to the rest of it is submission to authority. He starts out with submission to government authority, and he starts out to, uh, uh, and then that goes to submission with uh, um, um, uh, to um, moves from civil authority to, to uh, employees uh, submitting to their employer. And then he moves to wives' submission and submission to their husbands. And then he rounds out 
that, that framework in verse 5 where it says, Younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. I'm going to share a couple of verses here this morning and we'll just move on from there. This issue of submission is a, is a, is a huge, huge issue in the Bible and I'm trusting that by the time we get through examining this text, we'll even appreciate it more. We'll grow in our appreciation of it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus that is the first fruits of occasion, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. The Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Let's go over there and turn right and go to 1 Thessalonians if you will. 1 Thessalonians. I hope it's enough to say 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. And then in Hebrews chapter 13... Verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. We know that in any army, the... Uh, and I, and I hope this goes without saying or elaborating much on but in any army, um, the one thing that has to, to, uh, to be true if they're going to be successful in confronting the enemy is uh, submission to authority. That if you're in the middle of the battlefield and people are out there arguing over who's in charge and who's in control and debating about um, uh, uh, and questioning the authorities that have been placed over us, that's how you get killed. Joe was talking about his time in basic training in the in the um, in the, the military when he was uh, serving in the Coast Guard, and he said, uh, you know, that was one thing that they were certainly, and many of you have been in military service. You can't be going around questioning the lines of authority because they know that to do so and to resist the lines of authority is how people get killed. That's how they get taken out by the enemy. We don't have time for that in church life. Tragically enough, that happens all the time in church life because the devil uh, just loves to take that kind of evil suspicion and put clouds of doubt over people and question uh, and put question marks over them simply because he knows that if he can somehow another spurn or spawn rebellion in the ranks, then we're fodder for the attacks of the enemy. And we are. And so uh, the Bible is very clear about that. Younger people submitting to your elders, 
One of the marks of the last days is that men will be boastful, proud, arrogant, disobedient to authority, disobedient to parents. We see a, a lawless age. We live in a lawless age. We live in a lawless country. We live in a country that has laws, but the spirit of lawlessness, I'm afraid, and I don't say that in fear that we doubt the future, but I cower in fear in the fact that we live in a lawless age where the lawlessness of the Antichrist is starting to take root. That is the one, one of the defining attributes of the character and nature of the Antichrist is the spirit of lawlessness and that the one who would mediate that spirit of lawlessness in order to grab power over people. And he said, you know what? Submit yourselves to your elders. Submit to the pastors of the church and be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. What we can learn from this is this. If we're unsubmissive to the authorities who have been placed in our lives, for you, children, and younger adults, younger people, the authority has been placed in your life, one of the first lines of authority is your mom and dad. And the Bible says right out of the gate in Proverbs chapter 1 that the one primary attribute, the first primary attribute of a person who fears God is they honor their mother and father. It's the first one. First one. It's often overlooked and neglected. And by the way, of the Ten Commandments, the first of the horizontal commandments that govern our relationships with one another is honor your father and mother. So if you dishonor your mother and father, mother and father, don't be fooled into thinking that you're right with God because you're not. You'll never convince God to take your side against that. You'll never do it. You'll never get Him. I don't care how uh, wrong you might think your mom and dad are. I don't care what you think about their decision making. You will never convince God to take your side against them. He will not do it. Um, so let's at least be honest about ourselves and let's be honest and let's don't try to pull off some sham of Christianity that says I can be rebellious to my mother and father and be in fellowship with God because that's not possible. Now, we can tease that out a little bit more though and say that you cannot be in fellowship with God and be out of fellowship and, and in unsubmissive to the authorities that are over you and I. I'm going to tell you right now, you, it, the Bible is abundantly clear, abundantly clear that civil authority is, exists at the discretion and the direct will and sovereignty of God. And to disobey civil authority is to disobey the God who put it there. Then, but wives and husbands. And wives are unsubmissive to her husband. And she has a lifestyle of unsubmissiveness to her husband. Please, repent. And, and, uh, and, and understand this, that you are not in fellowship with the Lord. You might be in relationship with Him, but you are not in fellowship with Him if you're unsubmissive to your husband. Husbands. That ought to evoke holy fear on you and I. We should have an appreciation for the wives' struggle with that issue because it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and we talked about that before. Then, uh, submission to employee-employer. You know, and, 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 and the fact that we might even have a boss so we might be smarter. We might think we're smarter than our boss. We, don't have, we might think we have a better plan than our boss. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Humility, humility dictates that we submit to them. And there's no more beautiful picture of a Christian who's in relationship and fellowship when they're in fellowship with even the most difficult of bosses. That's a powerful witness to the gospel. It is a powerful witness 
to the gospel. And then we see here young people submitting to older people and then it's having an attitude of submission to one another. But I wanted to go back and grab all that to say this. This text lets us know that at the root of an unsubmissive attitude is pride. It is pride. Now you can call it whatever you want to call it. You can, you can write it off and say, well, it's just because I'm more learned than the people that I'm under and maybe even I deserve the, the position that they have. If you take it to a, maybe a boss or employee or maybe you look at our government right now and the, and the bent of our government, the government is doing many things, many things right now that we, that, uh, we oppose and there's nothing wrong with peacefully uh, voicing our opposition, not demonizing people, but certainly uh, making uh, our, uh, our convictions known. But we do it in a spirit of humility, in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of submission. Because the bottom line is, when we struggle in that area to submit, the seedbed of that struggle is pride. That's what it says right here. It says, okay, be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility. Why? Because humility will take care of the submissive part. I'm going to tell you this. The Bible doesn't have anything nice to say about human pride. It doesn't have anything good to say about human pride. It says, be clothed with humility. That, that is a picture of tying on something. That's what that word means. I want you to tie it on and bind it. And really, the best picture of that word is a slave putting on an apron before they serve. It's, it's saying, okay, before you get down there and do the lowest thing that you've been called to do is in your slave um, uh, responsibilities, before you have to don whatever you put on you to keep you from, to, to, so you can go down there and get involved in what you're, what you're going to get dirty and nasty doing, put that thing on. And that's how we should view humility. Put on humility. Of all the graces that come with holy living, surely at the very top of it for a Christian is humility. Surely at the very top of it is a humble spirit. Surely at the very top of it, the most humble people that ought to be on the planet Earth should be the Christian. Because we have been given information about how sorry we are apart from Christ. We have gotten saved through repentance and faith in Jesus. And everything that people think about us is not nearly as bad as the truth. And we know that. Now, the worst thing that you can think about me, I'll just go ahead and settle it for you. Whatever you think about me, and if it's bad, it's not nearly. It's far worse than what you think apart from Christ. Far worse. And so then we find out that Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I just don't see any place in there for human pride. The Apostle Paul posed the question in Romans chapter 3, where then is their boasting? Of what? Law? Of what? Works? He said it is excluded. There's no basis for it. Every time you want to put your handle on something in the Christian life, whereby you can boast of something other than Christ, it's a slippery slope and we've got nothing we can grab onto. It's like trying to chase the wind or, or, or put oil in your hand and somehow another form something out of it. It's just not there. So we should put it on. We should don humility. We should tie it on like an apron. A slave tying on an apron. Clothed with humility. Why? Strong word right here. God resists the proud. 
you take that word and look at the cousins of that word in the Bible from which that word came, the underlying Greek word from which that came, that's the same word, a derivative of the same word of, of uh, the characterization of God's resistance against the, de against the devil. And, and so what he's saying is, just as surely as God and the devil are enemies, when once we live a prideful life, we become, in practice, the enemy of God. He is resistant to that person. It's a battle term. It means that we're, we're, we're at odds with God. And I'm here to tell you, and you and I know this, we're not going to win. We're not going to win. He said, he said, listen, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humility is lowliness of mind. It is self-abasement. It means to make something low. It means to, to uh, have a modest opinion of one's self. Tie it back up to the text. What he's saying is, without that, we're nothing but rebels. The, 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 the resistance against submission to authority is predicated upon the spirit of pride. Pride. What is pride? Showing myself to be above others. An arrogant estimate of one's means or merits. It means treating other people with contempt. It means haughty. It means to exaggerate uh, and, and, to, and to have a, 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 a deceptively high opinion of oneself. It's presumption. It means overstepping due bounds. It means having uh, a, an arrogant, sinful estimate of who we are what we can do and what we possess. God resists the proud but gives unmerited favor to the humble. He gives unmerited favor to the humble. God resists the proud. I'm gonna look at, I want you to go together and look at some verses in the Bible that speak of human pride. Let's go to Isaiah 57, 15. Let's go over there right quick like if we can. Isaiah 57, 15. Let's say this out loud. Let's say this out loud. To be unsubmissive to God's delegated authority in our lives means that we're walking in pride. That's what it means. I mean, right here, it means we're walking in pride. And, and, and here's what the Lord says about human pride. Just a, just a little sampling. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with who? With him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the contrite ones, the small ones, the ones who view themselves small because you cannot view God big until we view ourselves small. If we view ourselves small, we view God... I mean, if we view ourselves big, we view God small. And God says, I attend to the humble man. Look at Isaiah 66 too. This is a very familiar text with you all. I know you've read this before. We studied this and we went through and did three or four weeks on it once. Isaiah 66 verse 2. Let's go to verse 1. Thus says the Lord, 
Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you'll build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those, and all those things exist from my hand, says the Lord. But on this one, on this one, I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. I think what's going on in America from a macro sense, and let's don't stop there because it's easy for us to just kind of look at it and go, yeah, that's right, and not take a self-examination this morning. But on a macro sense, what really is happening in America is our pride's being brought low. Our pride's being brought low. And we need that. We need that. God knows we need that. He's doing that because He loves us. On September the 11th, the two greatest sources of 2001, uh, the two greatest sources of our pride were attacked. And we didn't get the message. Because we, we're, we're, we're prideful about our financial power, our economic power, and we're prideful of our military might. And what did the, what did the, what did the judgment come from? Where did it come from? It came to the Pentagon which is a symbol of our military might, and it came to the World Trade Center, which is a symbol of our economic power. And God's bringing us low. And we go, yeah, this country needs to be brought low. Don't stop there. I wonder if you need to be brought low this morning. I wonder if I need to be brought low this morning. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, could it be, could it be that we could look at our government right now and see that they pay little or no attention to the Constitution, and yet don't stop there and just wonder what it means for the Christian to pay little or no, no attention to our Constitution, which is the Bible. We should expect lost people to act that way, but saved people ought not to act that way. What is that but fueled by our pride? And you know what? We need to be brought low. Because you can't be brought high until we're first brought low. Don't you think it's worth asking God, am I a prideful person? You know what? One time in ministry, I got hurt deeply by somebody and I realized in the aftermath of it and it created all kind of spiritual warfare, a frontal spiritual attack like I've never seen before or never had before in ministry. And it came from a very unexpected place. And after I stepped back from that, I realized with this individual who perpetrated that, I mistook timidity for meekness. This person was timid, but anything but meek. And I mistook that timidity as being meekness, but it was nothing but a cover for pride. In other words, pride's subtle, and it's hard to spot sometimes. It's like the sin of covetousness. I could be coveting something right now, and, and only me and God know it, and maybe just God. We could be walking in great pride right now. I give you a barometer, a barometer of how prideful we are. Your prayer life is a function of how prideful you are. If there's a little, pride, a little prayer, there's great pride. It means self-sufficiency. I can do it. I can handle it. You know, that's what the fool says. The fool doesn't say there is no God. The fool just says, no thanks God. I don't need you. This harkens all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The devil comes along and says, listen, you know, God gave you a job. Do you think that somehow or other this distant God, who's insecure, by the way, because he demands that you just be worshipped, just him, and he's insecure, he's got problems. God's got issues. Do you think, do you think that you're going to be able to pull off this job with just trusting him? 
You're going to be able to have dominion over this garden. Look at all of this. You're, you, and, you and Adam are supposed to tend to all this. You think, now that God created this place and put you here, that He, you know what He's done? He set you up for failure. That's what He's done. You better take matters into your own hands. You better assert your rights. You better get wise. Don't be naive. You can't pull this off and then we get saved and the same thing happens again. You think all those promises of heaven, that's all up there. But until you get there, you think that it's just God that can pull this off? Why don't y'all be co-gods? And we bought into His lie. We bought into the spirit of the rebel. Who's the first rebel? Where does the spirit of rebel come from? Where does the spirit of rebellion come from? Satan himself. He's a murderer, a liar, and an insurrectionist. That's what he did. He pulled it off in, in, in heaven. He rebelled. He mounted a coup in heaven. And what happened to him? He got kicked out. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I kicked him out. Any authority, any rule that comes against me is going to lose. So he said, okay, I can't be successful in heaven, but I'll come down here on earth and try to pull off the same thing. I'll mount a coup on earth. And that's what he's done. That means we make loveliness of mind. Indictment on human pride. Look at Psalm 138, verse 6. Look at Psalm 138, verse 6. This is what we've used a lot in the Roman study. Looking at this verse. Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, yet He regards the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. Though the Lord dwell on high, yet He regards the lowly, but the prideful man He knows from afar. Look at Proverbs 8.13. You know that Proverbs, the theme is really the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, look at, look at the characteristic and nature of the fear of the Lord. 8.13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Paul, I mean, uh, God says that He hates human pride. Is it not arguably the seedbed of all sin? Look at 1 John 2, 15-17. 1 John 2, 15-17. The prideful man, he knows from afar. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and what? The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We talked about this before in our Roman study. You can make an argument that it's not the patent overt evil that man does that's most detestable to God. It's the good he thinks he can do apart from him. 
That's why that's why Jesus had such an issue with the Pharisees and had, and called them nasty names because their their belief was we can be good in God's name without Him, and that is the source of that is unbelievable pride, unbelievable pride, and boy, it angered our Lord. James four four through ten. James four four through ten. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the Scripture says in vain the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But He gives, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you're double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Look, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up any struggle we have in our lives with authority is clothed and motivated by human pride. God's antidote, humility. A right estimation of ourselves. We will rightly assess ourselves when we come in contact to who He really is. That's the issue. If we go into the Scriptures and let God reveal Himself by speaking to us, it will bring us love. We will join with the ranks of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he looked up and he said, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he described this unbelievable, awesome scene. And the first thing out of his mouth was, Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And God said, Go get a tongue and go get a coal from the altar and touch your lip with it. And now you're fit for service because you can't go out until you meet me. And when you meet me, you'll find out who I am and you'll get an accurate estimation of who you are and you'll go out of here dependent on me because you know in you resides no good thing. Come in contact with the Holy God. The only, see, the only thing we see about ourselves is how filthy we are apart from Him. But then we, we don't stop there. We don't stop there. Then He cleanses us with the tongs from the altar and He poses a question. Who's going to go for us? And Jeremiah said, I will! Isaiah, excuse me. And he said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Hallelujah to His name. The way up is down. The Lord is saying, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives unmerited favor to a humble man. Look at Psalm 10.4. You know, we should expect this out of lost people. Look what, the, what the, look what the Bible says about a lost person. This was once true of you. If you're saved in here today, it was once true of me. 10.4. If you're as old as I am, that'll mean something to you. You can remember this verse by going 10-4 because they used to have CB radio craze. And everybody said, 10-4, get ready and all that kind of stuff. And you remember that. And so that's how I remember Psalms 10-4. I have to use these tricks to get uh, bring my memory forth. Look what it says. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Why? Because he doesn't need God. He figures. He doesn't need God. He figures. 
To play into rebellion is to play into the spirit of the devil. To play into rebellion is to be fodder for his attacks. To pray into the uh, to to play into the spirit of rebellion means that we're open and vulnerable to the enemy. We're open and vulnerable to everything he wants to do and wield power to try to destroy our witness confuse us and make our lives confusing and our testimony confusing in front of others. And the devil knows that. He is a liar. The Bible says he is a liar from the beginning. When he speaks a lie, he speaks his native language. He's a liar and the father of it. That's John 8, 44. And we know that well, and most of you know that well, that when the devil talks, he's lying. He cannot help but lie. He's never spoken the truth. He never will speak the truth. But that same liar, that same spirit of lying that comes out of his mouth comes from the heart of a rebel. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. Let's go look over there. In 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, in verses 22. And 23, dear ones, examine the authorities in your life and make sure you're in submission to them. And the only time that you ever have and I ever have a reason not to be submissive is when it is a direct attack against the fundamental conviction that we hold. And we do not, we do not submit to that. But even in our unsubmission to that, we do it in a submissive, humble way. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Why? In verse 22, it says, Why has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The spirit of rebellion is the spirit of worship of the devil. It is witchcraft. It is craftiness that he wields in order to woo and control people into a spirit of deceit whereby everybody around is, is confused about who we really are and whereby we're weakened, whereby our testimony is marred, whereby we are powerless. Oh, dear ones. That's what it... You know what? Well, let's don't miss the context of this. When he goes around and says, cast your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you, you know why that's there? Man, you think about it and you go, oh, we just lift that verse and we pull it out of the context in which it's written. What he's saying is this. If the authorities around you are harassing you, if you find it hard to submit to them, give that care to the Lord. Don't rebel. Just give it to the Lord. Listen, if, if, if we don't like it, just give it to the Lord. Give it to Him. Roll your burden on the Lord and He shall sustain you and He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Give it to Him. Don't take matters into your own hands. Humble yourself into the hands of the mighty God and He will exalt you in due time. There's coming a future glory for those who submit now. But rebels will not be rewarded in the kingdom. They will not. 
Rebels will not have authority in the kingdom. I believe, and some of you are going to write emails to me for this. Don't do it. Just talk to me face to face. But don't talk to anybody else until you talk to me. Because if you talk to anybody else, it'll be gossip. But I believe, I believe that Saul was a saved man. But I believe he lost the kingdom because he was rebe had a rebellious heart. And he forfeited the kingdom benefits that he could have had. And the Son of Man could have been called a descendant of the throne of Saul. But no, he's a descendant of the throne of David because he lost his kingdom, he lost his power, he lost his authority. The rewards in the kingdom to come and the, the, the authority that will be assigned there are going to be given to the ones who submit to authority now. Why would God give authority in the kingdom to rule and reign and rank and file if He cannot trust you with what He's given you now? This has a direct impact on it. Let's don't play into the spirit of the devil. Let's don't do it. Let's embrace the spirit of meekness. Meekness is strength under control. It doesn't mean that we're weak. It means that we temper our strength and put it under the hand of God. He said, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Psalm 55, 20, 22 has been one of my greatest comforting uh, scriptures and you'll go look at it right now if you want to look at it Psalm 55 22 it says cast all you cast your burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain you and he shall never permit the righteous to be moved if you go look at the margin of your Bible it might say if you've got a study Bible roll your burden on the Lord roll it onto the Lord we've talked about this before had an opportunity to preach this in Kenya if you've got a burden, here's the picture. You've got a burden. It's weighing heavy on you. It's got you so low that you can't hardly lift yourself up. You're, you're just low. You're weighted down with a burden. And the Lord says, roll it on me. The picture is a burden like a rock that's on you and you're on the ground and it's on top of you. I, I know I've got, I'm a little bit claustrophobic. And I remember in college we would just go silly foolish things and people in my dorm room would say go down to B6 and they would go down there and pile on top of you you know and everybody would be piled on top of you and you can't move and I would endure that just to make, make it look like I was cool but that like to kill me I can't stand not to be able to move around like that and, and, and that's what it is it's so pressing on you it's so pressing on you that you can't get up and you can't move and here's the picture of it if you roll it on the Lord what's his posture got to be come here Andrew means that I'm laying down here on the on the ground and I got a burden it's so bad I can't hardly take it and Andrew comes down here beside me and this is he let's just say he's Jesus and the, and the burden is so low and all I got to do is just drop this tip over and that rock falls on top of him that's what the picture is that Jesus Christ can Jesus Christ can take the burden because he's laying down there beside you to take it give it to him if you're finding a difficult part of your life and you're finding difficulty trusting God, give it to Him. If people are aggravating you and there's a fly in your ointment, give it to Him. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't fight the devil. Let God fight the devil. The authority we have is through the Word of God, but the authority exists in the Son of God. Roll your Word. Roll it on the Lord. Let Him have it. And He'll lift you up. And you can endure it. You'll have strength for the race. Oh, dear one, take it. Is it not time this morning? And I'll start with me. God, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you dare ask this question? If you don't want to ask, that's fine. That's fine. I don't criticize you for it. I feel sorry for you. 
But I, need, I think you need to ask the question. I think God's calling us to ask the question. What pride, in a practical sense, still exists within me? Would you show it to me and give me the gift of repentance so I can get rid of it right now? Where's it at? Could it be in your relationships? Could it be at work? Could it be in your finances? Could it be boasting of what you have and, and, and do? Could it be of what you're yet to get? Could it be that you trust in your intellect and the way you think about things more than you do God? Could it be that your prayer life is at such a low ebb that what you're communicating there is, is God, I've got it. I can operate my own strength, my own power. After all, I've got gifts. I've got it figured out. Could it be? Could it be that, that, that we're resisting the authorities in our lives? Could it be, student, if you're there here, that there's a, there's a spirit of resentment inside you toward the authorities in your life? Could it be? Could it be you need to examine yourself? Are you obeying the government? Are you doing things behind the government? Are you cheating on your income taxes? Christians should never cheat on their income taxes. Never. Oh, they're too high. They're getting higher. <laughs> Granted, that's true. But you should, there's no reason to cheat. It means you're unsubmissive. You know what you are? You're fodder for the devil. Are you doing something behind the back of the government knowing that you know, you're not supposed to? You know what you're communicating to your children? Hey, if you've got a, if you've got a, if you've got a, if you've got, like we talked about, you've got a radar detector, you're to sell it. Don't sell it. I'm sorry, because that'll mean you're giving it to somebody else to sin. Destroy it. Obey the speed limit. Hey, you know what? Obey civil authority. Let's be model citizens. Let's don't go around like a bunch of rebels. Let's be model submissive citizens, and that will give us a platform for the gospel. Is that right? It'll give us a platform for the gospel, because after all, nobody's getting out of here alive. Ten out of ten people die. And America is on its way out anyway. Amen? So let's get on the deck and call people to get in the lifeboat because God sent a lifeboat. Let's find out. And you know what? You're having a hard time uh, submitting to an authority in your life? Roll it over the Lord. God, I give it to you. I give it to you. I'm tired. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm giving it to you. He'll lift you up in due time. That's why the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That's why when we get into heaven, I think we're going to be eternally surprised at how it turns out. I think we are.